Welcome everybody to episode 113, lucky 13, mm-hmm. of the MetaBeaters 2 podcast, uh, which features myself, Ben. And David. And what are we doing today? We are back on track with our Ace retrospective. Ooh, excellent. And we are going to be talking about the literally the greatest show in the galaxy, which is, of course, Doctor mm-hmm. Who. And of the story from The Greatest Show in the Galaxy, we'll be talking about The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Indeed, indeed. Um, Story is written by Stephen Wyatt, uh, script editor Andrew Cartmill. This is under John Nathan Turner's tenure as producer. It's the penultimate penultimate season. Yes, it is. And it's the season finale of uh, the anniversary, 25th anniversary year. Not the originally planned season finale, though. Oh, what was that? Um, I thought the originally planned season finale was Silver Nemesis, mm. correct? <laughs> I'm glad this was the season finale opposed to Silver Nemesis. Well, I think Silver Nemesis was, spo- it was all supposed to end with Ace going, Doctor, who are you? Mm. Whatever she says mm-hmm. at the end. Or, who are you, right. Doctor right. Who? Or, Doctor Who? So, and then he like, puts his, on, his hand on his mm. chin and goes, yeah. mm, who yes. am I? <laughs> um, that is how it was supposed to end, I think. But because of the Korean Olympics or something... And then a bunch of other stuff. Everything got switched around. Hence, you know, all the flim flam that I'm sure all of you fans know with like earrings and Cybermen and Ace's jacket right, right, and backpacks. Right. Continuity and errors. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, honestly, I really can't be bothered to, to kind of, you know, the whole show is tiny wimey. Right. Maybe she went back right. in time or something. Right. Who knows? Uh, but yes, there are various uninteresting continuity mm-hmm. errors because this wasn't the original season finale. However,. I think this actually kind of makes a good season finale, to be honest. Go out with a bang. Yeah, literally. Go out with, lit- with, a, li- with a literal bang. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I think co- it's also a better story than Silver Nemesis by a long shot. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's damning with faint praise. True. <laughs> <laughs> um, bar there. True. Well, I think, I mean, my, my view here is that Silver Nemesis was cut to the point of insensibility. Mm-hmm. Greatest Show of the Galaxy is padded out quite a bit. A good length, mm-hmm. but there are it's quite a lot of padding mm-hmm. and unnecessary action yeah. in it. Mm-hmm. This, to me, is kind of a bridge episode between classic Who and where the, we're going to be going in the wilderness years and the new adventures. Yeah, and it's and it's a, a really good episode for Ace. It's focused in on. The, the hook is Ace doesn't like clowns, so the doctor goads her into uh, taking the, the spam bot's challenge to go see the psychic circus because she's not scared of anything. Mm. And that's a lot of what we're seeing, I think, what we'll see in the future with uh, Virgin New Adventures of the doctor being this dark, manipulative person trying to get Ace to do things. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems to me that on a kind of high level... Everything's super allegorical, mm-hmm. basically. Um, it's not really a story in an, based in an actuality of some kind. Right. It's not like Terror of the Autons where we have a real circus and... More's the pity. <laughs> right. <laughs> this, is, this is like a metaphorical circus mm-hmm. and everyone is a metaphorical person who's standing in for something. Right. So, again, it's weird. This is seem, this is like, a, you know, it's kind of birth pangs of some kind of new show um, that is emerging from the ashes of the 80s mm-hmm. and obviously never really happened because they cancelled it the next season. <laughs> um, I like the new adventures. Right. And I think actually the new adventures kind of got it right in between meshing together the metaphorical and the 
and the adventure. But I mean, again, you know, Doctor Who started out as an adventure story. Right. This is not really. This is saying this isn't really an adventure story at all. This is a story. Uh, this is a show that is that is there to tell stories about other things, and this I think is what we have here. It's very meta. It's a think piece meta. on yep. Doctor Who and the 1980s. In a yeah, way. yeah. Just as a sidebar, I think we've mentioned this before. It's really pretty clear that Kablam mm, um, from the most from the most <laughs> recent recent uh, series of Who has taken some of its design work from the conductor, mm-hmm. the bus conductor. Another relatively unnecessary robot character. Um, <laughs> we're definitely a model for the uh, Kablam men. Right. And also, of course, the Spambot. Right. Um, the, Combination, you know, a hybrid of the two. Yes, exactly. Which, which you know, obviously magically is able to arrive inside the TARDIS. TARDIS is a thing which not things don't usually magically arrive inside it. Mm. Um, but this is able to, and as is the message bot um spam bot on um from kablam mm-hmm. yeah it's uh, it seems to be a, a weakening in the tardis defenses a bit where we had once upon a time sutek who had a psychic projection and he's a massive evil character now we have i guess a psychic circus but you can imagine that the spam bot was programmed by bellboy yeah yeah. I mean, yeah, they're being controlled by the supernatural force on the psychic circus, the gods of Ragnarok or this eye well that we'll get into, but it's not it's not the same type of thing as a, a evil psychic projection. It's an annoying spam bot trying to sell the circus tickets. Yeah, and again, it's, you know, some judicious script editing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could have avoided that irritation for longtime fans that we currently are experiencing that you know the TARDIS should be harder to get into right. um, than you know because you know honestly if it was that easy to get into the TARDIS with kind of advertising mm-hmm. given the TARDIS's you know ability to spread itself throughout the known universe through every known time right. I mean the place would be just just rotten with kind of advertising robots mm-hmm. exhorting the Doctor to come and visit like every you know last den of gambling inequity and circus and you know, ice right. supermarkets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So. I think even if they would have made it knock on the door like with the like Neil Gaiman did in The Doctor's Wife with the little uh, message cube and they let it in, and I they think would let it, it be, in. Yeah, would be more interesting or m- well, more like plausible. Like a big neon sign in space, you know, <laughs> going like bloop, 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 psychic circus here on the on the DVD. Actually, there's some deleted footage there was a model shot of the spam bot kind of sort of arriving outside the tardis mm. like a satellite um but mike tucker says that they 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 didn't show that because it was too it looked too grim and, <laughs> it looked too grim and gritty um it was too dark and too gloomy mm-hmm. and they felt it didn't fit the kind of bright um in, well the initial episodes which are kind of bright and breezy because they're about a, a circus which of course apparently everyone loves yeah, it's all location. It's all uh, Warmwell Quarry in uh, Dorset. Yeah. So it's all, yeah. it, I think it's a China clay or a former, well, at the time it is now disused, but it was a, a China clay quarry. So it it's an interesting setting. And just the idea of the planet Saganax, it, okay, it's, it's a quarry, but then you have the locals with the, the, that horse seller with, uh, um, with Peggy Mount. It just doesn't really, it doesn't sell to me that the, that this is an area where there's a lot of locals that care about the psychic circus. Yeah, I mean, the, the planet itself looks really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really convincing alien planet. Yes. I think this this quarry is a good quarry to use. Right. I like this the kind of, you know, the Saturn 
background right. um, that they use to kind of give it some alienness, um, which is nice. So yeah, the visual effects that they did, I think uh, Dave Chapman kind of combined the uh, a model tent that Mike Tucker and crew made with the. I'm guessing it's Quantel or whatever they use for the whatever, yeah. for the th- for the graphics for the sky. And just yeah. combining the, the location and the model, and it works all really well to sell that they're yeah. on this alien planet. I mean, the setup, as far as I can understand it, and of course, you know, trying to understand it implies that there's been a lot of thought behind it, which possibly <laughs> there might have been not as much as one might, might imagine. You know, as the circus is kind of stuck here. Um, right. They got trapped. They got trapped by the eye that lives in a well, right. and then also by the gods of Ragnarok, who are in some way connected to this well eye thing. Right. Um, right. So again, the, the idea that the planet is kind of deserted, i.e. there aren't many people coming to the circus, right. um, kind of fits well, apart from Peggy Mount, um, who right. implies that there are a lot of people around. Otherwise, why does she have a stall selling things, and why does she identify the Doctor and Ace as, you know, different from usual people. Um, I guess. Again, I mean, one of the connections for me for this this show is also a little bit... um, What's the one where they have to go and find the TARDIS in season 11? You know, Ghost Monument. Ghost Monument, you know, where, yeah. you know, people have to arrive and then there's a contest to do a particular thing. And the contest mm. in The Greatest Show to the Galaxy is like the contest is you've got to amuse the gods of Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. So again, one might imagine that Peggy Mount has set up her stall in order to, like, provide snacks for the mm-hmm. people who are arriving in order to entertain the gods of Ragnarok with some kind mm-hmm. of... There's been some kind of, you know, universe-wide, you know, signal saying, you know, come to the circus, entertain the gods, die if you don't entertain them, which yeah. doesn't sound very appealing. But maybe there's a prize if you do entertain them. But, yeah, it's just... Uh, so, anyway, so I mean, that, that may be what she's doing, but it kind of implies that, actually, there's the, the, the planet does have quite a lot, ha- does have a population, mm-hmm. and she's one of them, and this is kind of her regular market stall, right. of which there's only one. Anyway. Yeah, I just wonder if it would have been a good thing to cut out. It's yes. a little bit of a padding, yes. and I'm not sure it really it's not that funny either. sells much. No. no. The, the humor, I'm not sure there's much humor in this. And Peggy Mount's The Stalls Lady really isn't that She's humorous. Not that, I mean, it kind of reminds me, what it always reminds me of is the kind of burger vans that you get by, you know, laybys by, you know, the side of a trunk road. Food carts. You, you don't you don't have those in America. But, you know, if you drive down any kind of non-motorway, hmm. non-freeway road, there'll always be like a van selling burgers and things. That always, ah. That's what it's always kind of reminded me of. Mm-hmm. Um, and they could have made more of that. But, yeah, it's not funny ace and the doctor eating what i again looking at my dvd info text apparently it's custard mixed with sweet corn or mixed with mixed with <laughs> corn all right um, particularly revolting um uh, if that's what they're actually eating and it's just not funny it's not useful it doesn't really mm-hmm. advance the plot i guess she's there to kind of try to explain to us what the hell's going on but mm-hmm. it's anyway, well yeah i think the key to this and i've watched it now twice in this past month and then the second Lucky viewing, you. yeah, the, the second viewing, the key, I think, is listen to Chris Jury as Deadbeat slash Kingpin and his kind of mumbling and insanity because he, or Wyatt, is giving Kingpin all these uh, mumbly lines that are explaining what happened and how they got there. And they're all delivered, uh, Chris Jury delivers them 
all underneath his breath or just kind of as insane man ramblings. Right. But it does explain that that they were the psychic circus was going to the, the well is offering them heaven and, and hell or temptations and then they get trapped. So I think it's all it's all trying to be explained. But then you have the whole level of allegory on top of it where you have the hippies and now they're corporate and it's also a commentary on Doctor Who fandom and you have all this stuff layered upon it and I think the main messages get muddled and even the characters are allegories where like Captain Cook is an allegory of the Doctor. Yeah, yeah, he's the Doctor, the Doctor has an assistant... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, and, uh, and Cook's example, she's a fine specimen rather fine, than exactly. Whiz Kid is like a Doctor Who fan, right? Is, well, not is like is a Doctor Who. Fan. Doctor Who, yeah, he is. He's a fan of the literally psychic, is the Doctor. He's Who fan, fan of the Psychic Circus, and the Psychic Circus is the greatest show in the galaxy, which is of course Doctor Who. What Doctor Who is? Right. Uh, I think the gods of Ragnarok are like either the audience or. The BBC, BBC executives, the, 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 director, the director general, and his secretarial mm-hmm. staff of the yeah. BBC. One of the things that I remember, and I think I only saw one episode of this at the time, but one of the things that aggravated me about this at the time is that the the kind of you know betrayal of the hippie ideal mm-hmm. aspect mm-hmm. was something that was so current in popular media at that time and it's something that really irritated me because i am not a hippie and i'm of the wrong generation and i didn't see why right. we were why spent... would kids tv care yeah why would we why would i personally care about the fact that hippies apparently weren't hippies anymore well right. okay well i guess you're not well that's kind of up to you then isn't it if you don't want to be hippies anymore i mean that whole kind of i mean you probably remember i mean it was huge in the uk 30 something was like a big show yeah, it was, was like an American, American television American soap TV opera type yeah, thing. Yeah, about, you know, people obviously in you know, 1985 or so mm-hmm. who were therefore born in 1950 and therefore had been hippies in the 60s and weren't right. hippies anymore. And it's like, well, great, that's great for you. Mm-hmm. Um, don't care. And there was like a huge, there was like the 20th anniversary of Sergeant Pepper. Right. Um, I never, yep. really, never really liked the Beatles that much, so that was <laughs> irritating. So, yeah, I was very kind of anti this whole kind of hand-wringing about mm-hmm. the 80s and... Where did all the hippies go? Well, it makes sense, though, because what we talked about way back when originally, that the writers always wrote about what they were afraid of. And so we had the World War II generation who fought fought in the war. They have Daleks and fascism. What does Stephen Wyatt have write about? Well, the loss of the flower culture, the counterculture, the hippies and stuff, and yeah. selling out to you know, in the corporate world. Right. So maybe it is, uh, you know, as kids, we don't care or as young adults, we probably didn't care, but as the writers, well, this was something that was, uh, important to them. Some kind of big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, I mean, which is fine, but I mean, you can, you can, if you've got something that you're personally concerned about as a writer, I think you could do a better job with kind of cloaking it in something that's interesting and, um, mm. entertaining, Rather than which, and, and actually, what I'll what I'll say, what is fun for me now as a fan? Of course, I was a fan then. Is observing and enjoying the this is the greatest show in the galaxy, and it's about the greatest show in the galaxy, and there's a Doctor Who fan in it, and this mm-hmm. is the director general of the B. You know that seems right. to me to be kind of interesting. 
Well, that's what Bob Holmes did with the Sunmakers and just right. commentary on taxation. He made an interesting, a fun story around that where, where the allegory is right out in the open, but it's an adventure. You're, there's, they're trying to overthrow a society. Uh, what's the doctor trying to do here? I guess shut down some parasitic gods and uh, close a circus? Yeah, and and what I think, um, let's let's just let's just delve into the gods of Ragnarok for for just a, a short moment. A, they look crap. Um, <laughs> they have none of the gravitas and unlimited, seeming unlimited power of someone like Sutek. Mm-hmm. They, they sit down in a similar way. Though of course, Sutek <laughs> stands up after a while. Right. Um, they're a lot more effective when they're a nuclear family. When they, they become are, kind yeah. of polystyrene objects mm-hmm. um, with kind of creaky, creaky arms, they look they look awful. They, they, I mean, as I said they are they are so far removed from the awesomeness of you know a godlike figure. Well, like an Omega or a Sutek, Omega right. and either of his either mm-hmm. either of his two guys is to be honest also the doctor says that he's fought them throughout time and i haven't <laughs> noticed him fighting them at all unless he's been mm-hmm. doing it in his spare time in stories that he hasn't bothered to show to us as fans of his of his of his tv show well it's all because of it's 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 timey wimey it's that big finish box set of the sylvester mccoy years uh, fighting the gods of ragnarok oh yeah exactly yeah <laughs> 10 stories of like me versus the gods of ragnarok curses uh, i haven't t- defeated them again on to the next story table tennises the exactly exactly <laughs> yeah, and, and i fight them by entertaining them so they let me live or something <laughs> yeah. whatever their desire is yeah i don't know i mean have the do we know whether the gods of ragnarok have been introduced into big finish at all mm, don't know don't don't the, really care honestly <laughs> yeah don't know don't care probably maybe mm. um come on nick let's have some gods of ragnarok action yeah i agree with you once they were when they're representing the 1950s stylized family i think they were a lot more threatening and ominous than when they were uh, st- uh, polystyrene Romanesque. Or, I mean, it's it's weird. You know, they're the gods Jones. of Ragnarok, which is a Norse Norse end times, and then they look more Greece, Grecian, and apparently, again, yeah. according to according to my info text, that's the reason why they don't mention Ragnarok at all in the Curse of Fenric, which is an obvious place to kind of reference right. actual Ragnarok. Ragnarok mm-hmm. being the Norse. The uh, the Viking Norse um, Danish uh, you know end of the world right in the in their in their mythology um, because it had already been mentioned to death in the greatest right. show in the galaxy which is a shame because that's one it of the things mi- that's missing from the Curse of Fenric is like the end of the universe is called is called Ragnarok right it's a misallocation it's sort of like where we had with Terminus where we misallocate the event. Vanir or Vanir or whatever, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and go for Anglo-Saxon like look on the the guards' armor and that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, and again, it's just a judicious bit of script editing could accord with me. You know, the gods of whim wham or like flibble flobble or you know any or, kind of nonsense word would have done, or write them out or, oh, completely radical. Or they're not gods, or they're the projection of the well. Yeah. Do, do do we need them at all? Well, here's here's the question: What is the connection between them and the big eye that lives down a hole? That I couldn't figure out because <laughs> good. Does neither I couldn't figure because he, because you because watched they, it twice. I've only watched it once, and I still can't work out if you can't work out what's going on. The well seems to be controlling Morgana, and that's what they're fearing. The ringmaster Morgana and the clown seem to be fearing them, and the gods are feeding a. Uh, 
it's I'm not sure how the two relate. And then the doctor uses the eye to defeat the you know gods of Ragnarok. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. No, and the eye is what's trapped them there, right? They're a traveling circus. They're like a by the, the well, by that the eye well, I think, is what uh, traps. So they're a them, regular traveling circus that travels around the universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can understand that. Bunch of free loving yeah, hippies. With a, at the someone's point. got a bus. They've got a big tent. Right. Um, one of them's mm-hmm. a clown. Right. In fact, they're all clowns because there doesn't seem to be anything else in the circus apart from clowns. All those clowns are robots other than the chief clown. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty <laughs> circus because yeah. all they've got is clowns. <laughs> like, where are the other things? Acrobats and stuff. I guess they have a fortune teller. That's not really... That's more of a mm-hmm. fun... Mm, that's a carny yeah, sideshow. Yeah, it's more show. of a sideshow thing. Anyway, so and they've gone to the planet. They got trapped by a big eye. But again, I don't know where the gods of Ragnarok turn up. I don't know what... I don't know what they're... So it's it's mm-hmm. weird. Maybe they're trapped by the eye. Maybe they were trapped by the eye. Most... Yeah. Well, I, maybe we should have... Get Big Finish to do more adventures of the big eye that lives in a hole. <laughs> the mm. Seganax eye. Eye of Seganax. So where this story, I think, stands out is not so much the story that it's telling, but the characters, the actors, and their portrayal of the yes. characters that are presented. Yes. And you can just, just from the get-go... With the ringmaster, uh, we got Rico Ross. He's an American. He's doing this uh, amazingly bad rap, I it's, guess, it's a, which was very contemporary. It's for a 1980s. pretty authentic late nineteen eighties rap, certainly for Britain. So I, I've I've actually warmed to it. Mm. Um, it, it, it. He was he was in Aliens. He okay, was one of the troopers in Aliens. Great. Okay, says, so says my info text. The, the, the rap reminds me of like just like the ballad of Casey Jones. Like, come all you rounders, if you want to hear a story about a brave engineer, <laughs> that type of stuff. Yeah. It, it's the same kind of uh, iteration. It's it's uh, it's not rap. It is uh, a spoken song or type bit. Like not yeah, whatever. I'm not an expert on rap at all, but it <laughs> it seems like it would be much better if it was like carnival banter than if it, they were trying to do a rap. Yeah, it's it's like early rap. It's like the message. It's like the Grandmaster Flash. Again, I know nothing about rap <laughs> either, but it seems like it's the kind of rap that you know you were listening to in the early '80s, mm. like early rap. It's not hip hop, is what it isn't. Yeah, yeah. It seems like rap written by someone who doesn't know rap, but that's what's uh, contemporary. And hey, I can do this. All you have to do hey. is rhyme, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's black. He's from America. He must be able to do this black American rapity rap thing that we've been hearing about in Britain. So it's just a little bit. It's a little bit condescending, mm-hmm. possibly, to kind of make him do that. Anyway, I mean, he does it. Pre- does a pretty good job, right. and he's actually pretty good as the ringmaster. Well, the ringmaster character is. He's probably the most uh, corporate that they have. A good thing going and they're making money and they're going to be famous and that whole aspect i think comes across in the character but the story doesn't do enough with it no no it doesn't well i mean i think this is the my point i mean the circus doesn't really have anything in it apart from clowns right and no audience either so this is supposed to be like this gathering festival or a talent show and it it doesn't sell it very well it just seemed it it, it again if you look at it just as an allegory, it works fine. But then what is it an allegory for? What is the message that Wyatt it's, and Cartmill are trying to... Yeah. Trying to... What is the metaphor? What are they trying to get at? So, I mean, the, the metaphor is kind of the death of the 60s. So they could have, like, focused mm. on that. The adventure, though, and I'm going to disagree. The adventure thing is, like, some some friendly circus folk have got trapped on, like, a hell planet where they're having to 
desperately entertain some evil beings on the pain of being destroyed. Now that's kind of like a that's kind of a horror story. That's that that's and, a good and it's story. a good idea. That's a good yeah, story. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it seems to be an, an an uneven mix of both, um, mm -hmm. which is good. But hey, but I mean, going back to the acting piece, the all the acting is good. I mean, I think T. P. McKenna is great as Captain Cook. Mm -hmm. We could definitely see more of him. Only he's dead, so he's not going to be in Big Finish anytime soon. It's an interesting portrayal because he really kind of plays Cook as pervy in some in some ways with his relationship with mags mm. it's uh it's a strange commentary of who the doctor is we have this blowhard captain cook who's travels and he puts people in his own uh he, manip he himself is manipulating people and using people to uh, prolong his life while the doctor that's one of the later day critiques probably more of the new series is the doctor is manipulating and using people to you know uh, get get his or her own way right so it I, i'm wondering how much like rtd and moffat this type of uh mentality because they were well put it away. yeah they're very involved with writing in the 90s and they were the fans fans of the show right. that came into television and it seems like this has a lot of the elements that go on into the 90s that uh get addressed or i would <laughs> i would say metastasize in the 1990s and then we have a full manifestation where the Daleks is telling the doctor you would make a good Dalek and Davros calling the doctor out for being manipulative and turning people into soldiers and having Dalek-like tendencies and stuff. And it, it it seems like this is an early critique of the character of the doctor. Yeah. But I mean, it's, but I mean, that also can come out well. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I haven't listened to huge, I mean, I'm, I, you know, the, the, the kind of the Paul Mars Irish, Irish wild time character which is kind of mm -hmm. a, like an anti-doctor you know she's you know she's female well the doctor is mainly male but you see what I mean and you know mm -hmm. she travels around in a in a, in, bus. A, <laughs> in a in a thing that's bigger on the outside than it is on the inside you know so I mean you uh -huh. know and again various other big finishes where you know there are kind of you know the one doctor which is one that I like where there's you know there's a, someone who's pretending to be the doctor I think mm -hmm. you know it is interesting to have these characters who critique the way the doctor behaves. I think where it starts to fall down for me as a fan is where we're kind of directly critiquing the way the doctor behaves. Cause if you start pointing out too much about mm -hmm. what the doctor gets wrong, then as I think we've said before, the show starts to fall apart because yeah, he does. He's, he's not, uh, character is not perfect. <laughs> the character, the character is not fully, he doesn't really have a character. Mm -hmm. um, so if you start pointing out the flaws in his character, it's like, well, uh, why? Anyway, so right. that's my opinion. Yeah, it's it, it's like pointing out the flaws of Superman. Superman exists as yes. the hero, and the Doctor yes. exists as the hero. Exactly. It's the other characters around him or her that have the character developments. The Doctor is more, uh, more like a force of nature or more like... Uh, um, I'm not sure what the, what is the doctor other than the bus driver. I mean, that's what she was in series 11. She was the bus driver. She got them to where they needed to go, and then the characters did their thing. Right, right, um, right. So, right. I mean, the doctor here is getting Ace to Saganax so she can ultimately kill the chief clown. Yeah, and I mean, I, I mean, is she's the, afraid of clowns. Yeah, I mean, is the, is the point of this story like to help Ace address her fear of clowns? 
I mean, I know the Doctor is supposed to be like training her in some ways to become, you know, a time, time lord or mm-hmm. some kind of time thingy. I would have thought that actually, if you're thinking about a training program for someone, addressing their fear of clowns would probably <laughs> be quite low on the list of things to train them for, really. Well, it I could mean, be I... just addressing your fears, right? Yeah. And the yeah. way you address them is kill them. I would have thought that there were probably more apposite fears, like, I don't know, heights mm. or, I don't know, claustrophobia or something. I mean, she's not going to meet that many clowns, mm. um, unless the universe is rotten with, like, evil clowns, in which case she's going to be <laughs> meeting them a lot and needs to conquer her fear of them. But anyway, it might be better if she's frightened of them, and then she'll want to kill them more. Mm. Um, yeah. I'd be teaching her to, like, you know, shoot and... I don't know, Venusian. I should have taken to, taken her to Venus. <laughs> Venus, and, yeah, and the sisterhood of Venus and got her learn to like Aikido. a Venusian Aikido dojo or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's kind, so, of, kind of weird. So, but of the cast, and yes. so going back to the ringmaster. Ringmaster seems to be buying into this corporatocracy or this. Uh, the uh, they're going to make the psychic circus really big. But then you have this very interesting relationship with the chief clown, played by Ian Reddington, who, right. who is the chief villain. He rides around in a hearse. He gets. Uh, <laughs> he orders, <laughs> which is I don't know where he got the hearse from, but yeah, it's, that 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 kind of signals that he must be villainous in some way. I would have thought, yeah, yeah. Well, it's weird because the stalls lady is has a horse horse drawn, you know, almost a gypsy caravan, right, right, and. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 chief clown is driving around in a hearse. Now, did the hearse come with the psychic circus, or you know, that that is a good question. Where did he get the hearse? Yeah, I mean, because if he if he started out as a good clown, mm-hmm. i.e., well, you know, that's what happy, Kingpin says, <laughs> a happy clown, and just right. got corrupted by mm-hmm. you know the big eye and the gods and having to entertain the gods all the time. Right. Yeah, the hearse seems a bit of a weird. You know, maybe. I don't know. It's uh, allegorical again. It's, it's very, allegorical. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. There's no real explanation why yes. it is, but it 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 is effective. Yes. It's very effective of conveying that this is a creepy evil clown. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Though I would have said his makeup probably does, and also his voice mm-hmm. and the way that he acts in general. It yeah. Does, it does. It also does a pretty good job. And Ian Reddington is the actor who plays the chief clown, and he is amazing in this. I think, I think it would have been creepier. If he'd been driving around in a clown car, Ooh. rather than a hearse. Mm, no, I like the hearse. <laughs> uh, no, I I think like a silly clown car with like <laughs> kind of you know, but he's evil. Kind that, of a jalopy. Yeah, yeah, that would have made it more evil. Anyway, whatever. Yes, I that's... think it would have been more cartoony. I like the hearse. I think you like it works. the hearse. Okay, I like. Right. I think it works well for it. Right. But it, there is no explanation for it other there than is an no allegory that the clown is death, the bringer of death. Yeah, like, the... Hearst don't bring death. They deliver dead bodies. Uh, walking dead? Yeah, and, I, mm. and the hearse is... Yeah, they're not. Yeah, I mean... Hmm. Yeah. Mm. I've never found them that frightening myself. I mean, they've got no. coffins in them, but... Yeah. You know, when they don't, they don't have coffins in them. They're yeah. empty. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think it's, again... Not well thought out. Right. But it, but it's a, it's a, it's a good visual. It is a great visual. It is a great visual. Yeah, yeah. And yep, then the other other cast, Jessica Martin as Mags. What do you make of her? She's great. I mean, she's coming back for Big Finish. There's going to yeah. be Mags. Mags, the continuing stories of 
Mags from the planet Werewolfia. What's Volpana? Oh, that's it, Volpana. It's not called Werewolfia. <laughs> it may as well be called Werewolfia. It's a mm-hmm. some great uh, Terry Nation planet naming. Well, there, isn't Volpen Volpania? It, well, I guess no. It's Lupus, is the wolf. So I, got, I was thinking that there might be some Latin type. Well, no, Vulpine is is. Hang on, it is it is wolfy, isn't it? If something is, it sounds it's yeah. A, You've had the education on this. Yeah, wait a second. I'm going to look up Vulpine. Yeah, pretty sure it's something to do with wolves. Wait a second. Let's let's look up the int the internet. The internet will tell me. Vulpine, uh, Vulpine, relating to a fox or foxes. All right, so that kind of works. So technically, she's a weir fox from the planet of the weir foxes, and she's pretty foxy there with her fishnets and yeah, I, I, again, spiky eighties hair. I think I remember at the time being like, oh god, it's one of those like irritating goth eighties girls who she's she's dressed like Madonna, yeah, in the right. early nineteen eighties. Yeah, was kind of failing to have relationships with at that particular point in my life. <laughs> Very punky. <laughs> yeah, like too punky for my taste at that time. I'm afraid, so I didn't. Um, I didn't care for her makeup at the time, but in retrospect, it's really quite effective, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does a good job. She was a, uh, uh, an impressionist, mm-hmm. I believe, uh, for um, uh, a spitting image and various other things that were on the television at that time that required people to do impressions of other people. And we were wondering back with Silver Nemesis, who played the Queen in The Voyage of the Damned, and it's Jessica Martin who does the Queen's voice. Does the Queen's voice. Does not do the Queen's out. body, but she does no, do the Queen's voice. No, no, yes. No. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you, Doctor. My <laughs> husband and I. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, she's good. I, yeah, and she's, she's good. And... Her and the Doctor kind of are the companion. Ace goes out and has her own adventure, while the Doctor and Mags are more of the team in this. Yeah, yeah. And um, I thought the... uh, I completely lost my train of thought. Carry on. So also, in the past, you have said it's hard for you to look beyond who the actors are due to their other sitcom roles or other character roles. So Chris Jury, as Deadbeat kingpin and mm. he played eric catchpole contemporary with this in the lovejoy series and right. i think lovejoy is probably on itv or something like that but it was being broadcast in on pbs at right. contemporary so chris jury was not convincing to me as the owner of the circus or the main <laughs> main business guy of the circus he just was bumbling eric catchpole from lovejoy throughout, so was he, was throughout he, the story so was he like a friend of ian mcshane or something on lovejoy he was the apprentice to <laughs> to lovejoy, lovejoy. to, to yeah, the eponymous he, lovejoy right yeah his his dad supposedly was in the uh, antiques business if memory serves and he had a favor that he, um a Lovejoy owed him, and so he took on Eric, and Eric basically became a petty thief because that's effectively what Lovejoy was. Right, right. See, I never watched Lovejoy because it seemed to me like it's a story about antique dealers in Norfolk, um, <laughs> which is like, well, how much fun is that going to be? None at all. Too much whimsy for me at that time, yeah. and still is. Mm-hmm. Ian McShane's awesome. He is. But I think that was a definitely a low point in his career. <laughs> that's what, in my that's what made him an American god. <laughs> An American icon. It's Lovejoy. He's in everything now. He's in Game of Thrones. He's in American Gods. Mm-hmm. He's in those. Um, uh, he's in those John Wick movies. Basically, whenever they need like 
You know how well, of course, and he's Sheriff. What's his name in um, in uh, in Deadwood? Right, Sheriff Swearingen. Uh, if you're an American actor in the UK, you were always getting work when they needed an American. With Ian McShane, it seemed like when they need a Brit, because he was based out of the US for a while, whenever you needed a Brit, you got Ian McShane. I think he must be in, in Hollywood at the moment, because yeah. he's, he he's turning up so much all the time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Um, <laughs> this isn't Was Ian McShane ever in Doctor Who? I don't think he was. I don't believe so, no. No, he was too busy being bloody Lovejoy. Um, <laughs> so the other other character i think that stands out and it's a very minor role but it's a very important role is whiz kid by uh gian san gian san marco yes yeah yeah. did you have adrian mole in the united states Mm -mm, mm -mm. because that was his big role was secret diaries of adrian mole that's where he kind of became well known so again for me it was hard to watch him because he was basically being the adrian mole character who's basically a teenage Mm -hmm. nerd yeah, no, I don't think that made it over the States, or it okay. certainly wasn't anything that caught my attention. Right. But we've had two two stories in the history of Doctor Who that seem to be really direct commentaries on fandom. We have The Greatest Show in the Galaxy, where the production team, I guess, who are the circus, really do not like fandom. Right. <laughs> and Or the fans, and so they... Mock them. Effectively kill their biggest right, fan. Right, right. And then we have... Love and Monsters, which is about fandom in itself, and it's, it's that's Russell T. Davies' look on fandom, and both stories I'm not sure are very uh, flattering towards fandom. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I think I mean obviously Love and Monsters is more affectionate in that you know it's uh, it's about making friends and how people who are lost you know, can come together through the, you know, shared love of a particular TV show, but how right. they can then also be abused by kind of super fans. Anyway, yeah, so it's so it's so it's it's a more it's a more affectionate. I mean this mm-hmm. one seems really pretty mean spirited actually in some ways. Yeah. Um because I mean what's weird of course about John Nathan Turner is that the whole of the his eighties run as producer of Doctor Who was about pandering to fans. Right. Um, so if he didn't like fans, then why the hell was he trying to please them all the time? You wonder if that line uh, used to be, a, it's not as good as it used to be, was more of a Cartmill line or a J&T inserted line, if he inserted lines rather than Who a knows? Wyatt, Wyatt originated line. Because I would imagine the super fans probably, well, the fans like Chibnall and stuff were on... Well, they were actually being taken advantage by grade, et cetera, to give reason to cancel the show, saying it's not as good as it used to be. Yeah, Doctor in Distress but, and all that. Yeah, but we had we had fans like yourself and myself who just, well, this was for kids. We'd moved on. And so, which I think was more of a healthy healthy obsess- <laughs> healthy way to handle the obsession, move on with your life if it wasn't for you, rather yeah. than start criticizing it. Yeah, so, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we are a lot more healthy than Chris <laughs> Chibnall. Because we do, we do a podcast rather than run the rather damn show. Rather than actually in charge of the show itself. So I guess we're the winners, Chibnall. Yeah, there you go. We beat you. <laughs> yeah, who's a sad fanboy now? Yeah, Chib. Chris. Yeah, Chris. <laughs> Um, uh, anyway, the b- light bulb of self-realization turns uh, on. Moment of clarity, exactly. 
All right, this is the end of the podcast. We're done now. Yep. We're not doing any more. We're <laughs> Mic not drop. Doing, we're not doing it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mic drop, record scratch. Um, we're not doing any more of these until we get to run Doctor Who the way that we think it should be run. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, so I, I mean, it's, I, 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 just to rewind, I mean, I think if they'd really push that angle more, I think it would be more effective because um, uh, I thought that that's actually a kind of a fun, uh, a fun piece of allegory, which is, you know, Captain Cook and Mags are the Doctor and his lovely assistant and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Whiz Kid is the you know is a fan of Doctor Who and right. the Psychic Circus is the show and blah blah, right. blah 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 blah. I mean, I actually, I mean, I think, I mean, having rewatched it, I think he does. A, I think Jan, whatever he's called, does a does a pretty good job. He sells it as Whiz Kid, yeah, acting wise, yeah. yeah. But it's uh, you know, he comes in on this uh, children's bike. He's dressed in a McCoy like vest and a tie, yeah. nerdy glasses. It's just yeah. Uh, it's a it's an interesting uh, reflection on fandom, I think. Yeah, and I, I guess the clothes are kind of interesting because they're not, you know, no one. Uh, I don't know, no one dressed like that in the eighties. Not even fans of Doctor Who. You know, he should have had more more of an anorak on, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, well, he's almost dressed as he's the big brother of the little girl in the Gods of Ragnarok family. See, there's another piece of plot that they could have done. They could have, we could have discovered that he's related to the gods. Gods. Maybe he's a fan of the gods of Ragnarok. Ooh. Um, I don't know. Why he would be, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he'd be a fan of them. I mean, I think it'd be interesting if, you know, if, if supervillains mm-hmm. had fans. Anyway, whatever, yeah. So, but this, uh, oh, you know... Hang, hang the... on. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Here's something we haven't covered. Um, the whole shooting outside thing. Which helped it enormously Which by made a stroke of luck. <laughs> a lot better, exactly. If one yes. could just imagine how pants this would have been... Mm-hmm. If it had been studio bound, I think it would mm-hmm. have really failed, actually, in, mm-hmm. in kind of major ways. But shooting it inside a, an actual big top, um, right. you know, basically is an OB project, really kind of really helps sell it. And the model work, again, is excellent. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, the seam, the kind of division between the, you know, the model tent and the actual tent is perfect. Right. And it really, it really works well. You actually do get an a sense that this is a circus tent on an alien planet and it's all happening inside that circus tent because it kind yeah. of is. Yep. So this is where JNT did his job as producer. He yep. didn't want... He was a good uh, producer. Yeah, he didn't want a, 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 a failed production on his hands. And so he found a tent, found a BBC property that they could put it on, BBC yep. Illustrated in Hertfordshire. Oh, yep. And they were able to pull it off. And from what Sophie Elder was saying, that they had to hold up filming because planes would go overhead or right. a car car would go by or a loud truck or anything. But they get the ambiance. They get the wooden floor that because they're in the tent. Yep. They get more movement. The lighting, I think, is more realistic yep. than what you would do on a sound stage. All of that combines to make it much more... Uh, of a place yeah. in the the circus tents and just the tunnels of the tents were much more atmospheric thank you to being in an actual tent yeah extremely well done um mm-hmm. and um and again i mean I, I i one of the things that again kind of sold it is you probably didn't have this in the states but certainly um in the 60s 70s and i think probably into the 80s as well the BBC would show from time to time live circus. 
um, mm. especially in kind of holidays, kind of especially kind of bank holidays. Interesting. And you know, and which were always kind of OB, obviously outside broadcast because they were right. filmed, you know, in the circus, you know, in the tent, yeah, Billy really Smart or wherever. Um, so it actually, you know, it kind of sold that really, really well. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. The other big improvement over this over the season is we have Mark Ayers doing the soundtrack. Yes. And so much better. The music is significantly just it's night and day much better than what we've had with Kef, Kef uh, in, the, in the previous previous stories and even over Dominic Glynn's uh, yep. soundtrack. I think yeah. it's it's a it's a better it's, it's a better use better of in every way music and and setting. it's, it's yeah. using the same instruments. It's the same kind of you know genre. Uh, it's it's synthesizer. It's exactly the same as both of those other two composers, yet mm -hmm. it is done in a sympathetic and effective way. Also, think also, and again, this is coming from the info text. Apparently, there is there is basically music throughout these four episodes. There's right. very little silence. There's music all the time, and a lot of the music was was there in order to kind of mask some of the background <laughs> sound. Um, Filming in the tent. Yeah, yeah but I mean. I mean, you know, obviously Mark is now, you know, he's in general like a Doctor Who God hero um, right. with his work in the, in the restoration He is team. a god of restoration. He's a, one, of, <laughs> one of the gods of restoration. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, f for a genre of soundtrack making that I generally dislike, which is the synth-based soundtrack, mm. he does mm -hmm. an excellent job. No, it, it's very atmospheric and yep. it conveys conveys everything that it needs to do to help set the mood for the particular uh scenes that are that the music is playing for but it's also interesting that uh, i don't know if this is stock music or is this mark Ayers doing it in synthesizer but they have circus music in places right and they have some classical music when um the doctor is performing for the gods of ragnarok so it's an interesting sound design throughout the story with Mark Ayer's score and just stock music that they would combine. So it, it has a fresher feel yep. than what was done in the two Kef McCullough scores. And even with Dominic Glynn, who I think was more handicapped by having the harmonica in the Happiness Patrol. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, I mean, you know, I think uh, there's the whole jazz thing in the in the Happiness Patrol, which kind of you know, silver. Oh, did... isn't isn't the what's his, is he some kind of jazz man or something? The whole jazz thing, which is like a well, well, we have the jazz and silver nemesis, and, and the then jazz we have the blues. Is... Oh, it's the, blues the blues harmonica. I beg your pardon. Um, blues harmonica in exactly I in mean, Happiness Patrol, which is trying to do that noir. Yeah, noir both bit. genres of music I don't particularly care for. <laughs> therefore, I've lumped them as being the same. Um, which is all what, what don't you like about jazz? I just, I just like jazz. It's like uh, too many notes. Too many notes. Too many notes. Hmm. Too many notes. It's just kind of like, uh, stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> stop making that sound. I just like the beating of one drum. <laughs> exactly. Well, okay. You, what you need to do is you need to go on YouTube and look up the Fast Show and look up <laughs> Fast Show Jazz Club. Which expresses nice. everything that I dislike about. <laughs> did, you, did you watch the Far Show? Yeah, I, I, I watch. I watch Jazz Club. Yeah, yeah, Jazz. Nice. After uh, Silver Nemesis episode. I oh, think. right. Yeah, excellent. In so that's every, that's everything I hate about it. Anyway, but Cartman was a big fan of jazz, uh, which is why we have a lot of kind of jazz elements and blues elements mm. um, throughout his tenure. But, as, but not a lot in this story at all. Not a lot, thankfully, in this mm -hmm. story. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So anyway. I think a call out to the makeup design by Denise Barron. I think this is her only Doctor Who, but I think 
her designs for the clowns are excellent. They are especially good. especially Ian Reddington's chief clown makeup. Very nice. Um, yes. I think she did an excellent job with Mags. It's a very good 1980s look for a werefox. Yeah, for a werefox, exactly. Yeah. No, it is good. It's good. And the transformation is good. And it's not, you know, there was a lot of werewolf action in the 1980s, you know, with American Werewolf in London and right. um, uh, the Angela Carter one, can't remember what it's called now, um, you know, with the Don't wolves. Know the Neil Jordan, anyway, whatever movie that is. A lot of werewolves around in the 80s Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Um, They were very current. It can be very cheesy. It's very hard to do to make an effective werewolf transformation. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think they do, and it's a very well-judged transformation for mags that is done effectively on someone obviously understanding what budget was available and tuning the transformation towards the budget was available to do that transformation. Yeah, it's done all through makeup and then Jessica Martin's portrayal of Mags. It's yeah. very, very effective. Very effective, exactly. And then, yeah. and I know we, we knocked the script with the, the costumes of the Gods of Ragnarok and even the polystyrene uh, arena, but the designer, that his name's David Lasky, for the stuff that he did on location by the, the hippie bus design, I think is good. Right. Um, making use of the BBC van f- to hang the greatest show in the galaxy outside of the circus tent entrance. I think what he did on location is uh, pretty, pretty good with, again, limited resources and yep. then making the most of what they have available on hand. Yep. Yep. Making good use of the things people leave behind. Anyway, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. So the whole idea of Bellboy and the robots really don't work for, work for me. And no. wh- why his greatest failure or whatever is a giant robot buried in the sand that shoots laser beams from his eyes. That or... seems like a really successful robot. <laughs> well, it worked for Ace. Yeah. Or then we have all this guff about... When they're on the bus, or when Ace goes back to the bus with Kingpin, and they're getting the lunchbox or whatever the out from be underneath the gas pedal, and then the whole malarkey of hitting the hitting the top of the head of the robot that just seems to drag out. That that's where you have all this padding. It just. I don't know. I don't think the robots work very well. No, I mean it's very. Um... It's a very kind of 2000 AD, you know, the kind of buried robot, buried war robot in the sand. Um, that's really basic, taken from, you know, 2000 mm-hmm. AD comic book, um, which is, you know, this kind of very influential British uh, uh, anthology, mm-hmm. British weekly comic. Um, and they don't really do a good job with it. And it is basically complete padding. There's no need to have that at all, in my opinion. So how JNT wanted the Cybermen because of the 25th anniversary series if you would have had the psychic circus be actually uh, a trap set by Cybermen to get right. get bodies, you know, perhaps a, a cybernization type thing. You you uh, was Doomsday, right? Or no? Yeah, that was the Battle of Canary Wharf. Doomsday. Right. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. you had the same kind of with the plastic sheets and the building site with the kind yeah. of bi- billowing stuff. But if you had. If if these were cyber experiments and um, yeah no I mean I think I think again with a, with less haste mm, no hang on um, 
more haste, less speed, or whatever. You know, the little more consideration in terms of script. How, you, how you'd work the Cybermen Yeah, in. you could have easily worked the Cybermen into this, because, you know, the Cybermen... I mean, imagine how great it would have been to have cyber clowns. You know, if the, the clowns who are all robots, you know, doing all their acrobats, had, like, kind of taken off their masks and kind of revealed themselves to be Cybermen. Or if they actually had cyber faces, but with, like, makeup on... That would have been super creepy. So, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff you could have done here. Again, if you just spend a little bit more time thinking about it. As usual, and I think as we've said all the way through in this particular season, I think just a little bit more time mm -hmm. thinking about what works and what doesn't work would have made something that was a lot more effective to our minds. I think they just never had enough time. I think that was always... No, they didn't. Yep. Always the uh, limitation of all Doctor Who in the 60s, 70s, and 80s that they're always scrambling to get something on the air. Right. It's just when you have newer writers and newer script editors, I don't know if you can cut it that close to the wire as much. You, can, yeah. you don't have the experience. You don't have nope. the instincts nope. that have been honed over a year of working in television to know what might work or might need a little bit of revision where you need to focus in agreed and, and even even like with Hinchcliffe and Holmes where they thought they were in safe hands like uh, the android invasion with a Terry Nation script and uh, Barry Letts directing they let it let it slip and that's of uh, season 13 that's the 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 lesser of the stories in that series yeah no agreed agreed yep agreed um, and I think I think this is this is the theme. I mean, I think this is why it actually picks up in the next season because they've got more. They've had more time to think about this. Um, more you know, experience, are, yeah. The, the more experiences. I mean, there's still a lot of rough edges in mm -hmm. the in the final season. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think I think the quality of the stories definitely pick up. Which is, I think, uh, so infuriating about Series 11 in the new series is Chibnall should have had a lot of time, a lifetime of thinking about what he would do when he was running the show. And it doesn't really come across that he's bursting with ideas, that nope. he knows nope. a story that he wants to tell. Absolutely. Yep. And we've said this before, and I think it, that, that doesn't make it any less true. Yeah. But yeah. 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 So anyway, so that's Greatest Show in the Galaxy, I greatest think. Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Uh, I think it's probably the high point for me of this of the season. Uh, we have what Remembrance, Happiness Patrol, Silver Nemesis, and Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Yeah, it's high point. I uh, it's hard to choose between this. If if you want to do a high point of which is mm -hmm. in general a lowish point season, I'd probably go for Remembrance of the Daleks over this one because mm -hmm. it's got Daleks in it and Davros and Mardi Gras beads. <laughs> yeah, I try and forget about Davros and his Mardi Gras and his Mardi Gras beads. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, yeah. Mm, so yeah, it begins well and ends well. Uh, Happiness Patrol, I think, probably has a lot Slack of in the middle, a lot of uh, fans, and then just the abomination that is Silver Nemesis. Yeah, which yeah. they if only they just added in an extra episode, you know, and just spread, I don't know, whatever. An extra yes. episode and another villain. That's what it really needed. <laughs> <laughs> Two, another episode and two more villains. There you go. <laughs> that would have done it. That would have easily made it better. Excellent, Doctor. Um, and more skinheads. 
Mm. Or more at least explain heads. the skinheads and how they got out to. Anyways, we're, no, we're more skin, more unnecessary skinheads. Listen yep. to the Silver Nemesis episode in our Cybermen 1980s Cybermen story uh, overlook if you want. If yes, you want if more you, on Silver if you Nemesis, want, want more on how much we don't we, find Silver Nemesis to be working right. We will never speak of it we'll again. Never speak of it again. Um. So what's next week then? We're we're, we're moving swiftly on to Battlefield. Um, to Battlefield. Ooh, mm-hmm. it's Space King Arthur. Yep. And his space Merlin, yes. friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. So that will be, I hope, next week. Yeah. Super. Until then, thank you for listening to episode 113 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been talking with Ben. And I've been talking with David. And good night. Good night.